Play or die. Play or die. Play or die. Play or die. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Spectre Cinema Club, a horror podcast obsessed with subgenre. My name is Devon Taylor, and I got uh, my buddy Garrett McDowell with me, of course. Hello, hello. And uh, we got uh, a little spooky season extra for you. You know, there are so many movies dropping this month, and it's been uh, so exciting. And uh, one of those movies is VHS 99, which uh, just dropped on Shudder as of uh, today of the recording yesterday when this will drop. And uh, this is uh, the latest installment to the anthology series. And uh, you guys know me. I love me some found footage. Garrett, you love found footage too, right? A little bit? Yes, I. Uh, it was one of the kind of the earlier genres I remember uh, getting into is my love of horror, being scared by the paranormal activity movies for sure. And then it feels like, you know, uh, since then, this genre has just been a real platform for uh, fledgling new and up and coming filmmakers to really be able to spread their wings. So I'm excited to dive on in. Yeah, so we have uh, one of those directors uh, that contributed a uh, segment to this uh, latest anthology, the segment Shredding. Um, and she has uh, been a friend of the show, uh, came on back in season one. We talked Rocky Horror. Um, good friend of mine. Uh, welcome to the show, Maggie Levin. So excited to be here. This is really great. And on release day, which I've wow. never, I've never had a release day like this i i mean my valentine which came out on hulu right before lockdown uh <laughs> when everyone was starting to get nervous mm-hmm. was uh this has a very different spirit to it this has been a very uh joyous and um horror filled like you were saying halloween like it just feels like we have uh, a, a a glut of movies available to us that are all so wonderful so it really feels special to be releasing a horror movie in the golden year for horror that is 2022 well not just that but also like a pretty beloved and now substantial series which is the the vhs you know anthology series now so congratulations yeah thank you so much yeah what an alumni roster to join i mean it it felt like big shoes when i got that call i was like oh boy i better come ready to like throw down (laughs) oh yeah so many uh directors that have uh, contributed to the vhs series through the years have went on to do um many big things in the genre film world and uh you know it's a a mixture of voices on here which is uh super fun uh, so I guess to kind of start off is uh, how uh, does it come about when uh, these anthology projects like uh, did you already kind of have an idea to begin with or did uh, or did they approach you first? So they uh, the producers of the VHS series approached me when they were working on 94 um, and that was in early 2021. So I was getting ready already to I was already prepping to shoot second unit for the black phone. So I couldn't join, which was a real bummer. It, it did feel like a sort of anointing phone call of like, Oh my gosh, the cool, the cool kids table of horror is calling me and I can't go. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I hope they can save a space for me. And I'm very blessed that they did when they knew that they were going to make 
they they actually i think made their deal for 99 and 85 at the same time mm. 85 which just got announced at new york comic-con last week um so they asked if i would want to participate in either movie and i was like oh my god yes i also lived through 99 in a, uh, in a way that i felt like i had a lot of grist for that particular mill um so we started kicking around ideas uh, you know things of course you're looking at the spectrum of what's been done in the series before um i i knew that i wanted to do something with kids and i kind of wanted to do that CKY skate video, you know, this mm -hmm. kind of stuff that my brother and I were doing with our family home camera. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and that's how shredding was born that and my long term desire to do a ghost rock band. I'm just that's just <laughs> that's just my shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I was I was curious in watching this, like what comes first? The, it sounds like from what you're saying, they kind of tap you first and then they, they trust you to take it from from there. It wasn't like, well, I have this idea and then they'll pass on another filmmaker. Was this always the initial you said that it was you had these kind of bigger broad strokes, uh, themes and ideas uh, that you wanted to pop up. But from what we got with the final product, how closely does that resemble what you had initially planned for this? Or because it said it was, from what I'm reading, a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. Are they kind of one-to-one? -one? I think I was, I might've been the first director onboarded officially for 99. So I had a like slightly more lead time than, than some other folks, but this is very close to, you know, first I had a conversation with Brad Miska and Josh Goldblum. Then they added David Bruckner and radio silence, which was, you know, that was like one of the coolest and initially most intimidating zooms I've ever been on where I'm just like, here's my idea. What do y'all think? And, uh, and so we refined it a little bit. I, I wrote, um, and you know, a, a lot of times I, I sometimes work with other writers, but generally I write my own stuff. So I, I wrote a, a document that very closely resembles the script that very closely resembles what was actually uh, filmed, which is also unusual. It's it's interesting. I have a lot of product projects that have been in development for a long time and that have shifted and mutated and changed. Oddly, my track record for what gets made gets made fast and gets made very faithfully to the script because <laughs> there's no time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So That's it's good. like it, it's like it, you know, hinders you in one way, you know, of uh, kind of having this uh, timetable to to work with. But then also. Like you said, it, it kind of uh, they're able to, you know, kind of be hands off and be like, all right, well, you got, you got this amount of time. Just I don't care how you get it done. Just give it get to it me. Done. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and one of the, the real special things about this series is not just their um, willingness to give the filmmaker creative freedom, but that's part of the mm -hmm. mandate. You know, they, they're all about how much can you throw at the wall? How far can you take it? You know, they they want it to have a punk rock uh, sort of nasty sensibility to it. They, you know, this is not about refined, mm -hmm. um, what's your most elegant take on, on footage. It's like, how do you be original, boundary pushing, and what do you want to do in this, uh, with the parameters of the year, and it's gotta be found footage. And it's got to be horror, but it can be horror comedy, it can, which very much was. So that's really, um, so that's really all they gave you was kind of yeah. the the year. They didn't like kind of uh, like kind of sit down with like a theme or like kind of statement because oddly enough, all the segments like 
kind of have a pretty direct through line between them. They do. And that was a shock to all of us. Uh, And I think it kind of, it, it speaks really beautifully to what, 99 means to a certain age of persons the, the filmmakers were all I, I think we're all within a decade of each other at least um so the you know you can kind of tell we all got bullied right uh yeah. or, or uh, <laughs> uh there's a a theme of going along going along with the crowd trying to be too too cool the hubris of youth um and certainly the is the horror a literal monster or is it how monstrous kids are to each other? Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I mentioned to Garrett before we started re- recording the word I use. I was like, uh, it kind of has uh, this line of uh, humiliation uh, yes. horror to it, you know, as because in 99, it's like, you know, like people have been, you know, making stuff with video cameras and stuff. And then, you know, the Internet's kind of in its early days. So it, it's an interesting mirroring to, you know, uh, today's age. You know, it's like still craving for attention, but it seemed around this time it was uh, a little meaner, you know, and yes. like and that's yeah. where, like, I felt the most horror from this. Yeah, the the I mean that's really certainly with the segment that I did what I wanted to do was present my villains as heroes and my heroes as villains and then by the time you get to the end of the movie you've properly swapped you figure out where everybody is. Mm-hmm. Um and and also yeah there is I think what we're seeing with like the Woodstock 99 documentary um as we look backwards at this at this period of time when we were really as a country you know mine is deliberately set pre-columbine it's obviously pre-9-11 the certainly white america was at its most rich and successful and just kings of the can i curse oh of course oh yeah for sure (laughs) (laughs) just kings of the motherfucking world and still miserable and I, I you know I that's something that's always been fascinating to me about movies like Fight Club like that the idea of white American misery and the ways that we sort of took our rage out on each other um at the time and I'm saying we you know I'm I don't know I'm I'm, I'm a Jewish queer lady so, <laughs> so but I you know I do I I was part of these like kid clicks and we were all pretty wretched to each other even the theater kids um because that's what was like represented to us in media um so yeah there but that's absolutely a through line not just in mine so i don't think i'm the only person that was living through that at the time yeah and it's this like humiliation on a path towards acceptance or like kind of getting what you want via you know money in one case but attention in another either attention of like the pretty girl across the street or attention of some friends that you want to have or attention of like this click that you want to sort of fit into and yeah. so it's it's really fascinating that you guys even from different probably geographic locations and backgrounds and and ages as well kind of all arrived at a not the same nexus but a similar kind of you know you're kind of orbiting this the central theme or idea here i i I think that's that's really fascinating it was really nice hearing johannes i did a couple interviews with johannes roberts who did suicide Mm -hmm. bid and his perspective as a brit looking in on American culture and Greek life. And he's like, it's so bizarre. And I just (laughs) wanted to do something about it because it's so strange to me. I'm like, it's 
dude, it's strange. Even yeah. if you're here, it's weird. It's so. yeah. <laughs> you, you, had, you had talked about these big shoes that you were filling, not only of that franchise, but you're also kind of like the leadoff hitter here. Like this is I the know. first thing of the, this is the first mm-hmm. short of the entire thing. And I had to have wondered, like, was that nerve wracking? Because I would assume that it would be like school to where you're like, I just want to get my presentation out of the way. That way everybody else can go. <laughs> For me at the festivals, certainly at TIFF, I was a basket. I don't think it showed, but I was a basket case at TIFF. And we all met for the first time. And like, I had only seen portions of other people's work. So I didn't know mm-hmm. what I was in for. And there is this kind of uh, natural ranking system to being in the VHS franchise, right? Like people are not mm-hmm. just ranking you against all the other ones in the, in the lineup of your particular movie, but against all of them for all time. Mm-hmm. which includes like safe haven and amateur night, you know, just like legendary found footage pieces that cannot be topped. But, you know, my goal was like, I'm going to do the best motherfucking version of what I know how to do. Well, um, I hope that I did it. Uh, and I, did, uh, they don't set the order off of that. So mm. I didn't know. Yeah. I felt a little bit like, uh, like that moment in Almost Famous where they call him and they're like, congratulations, it's going to be a cover. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm first. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. I uh, mean, it's a, it, it is pretty nerve wracking because like you're, you know, yours is a, it's setting the tone, you know, and, yeah. and I feel like it, it, and that's so big for, for these anthology projects. And, you know, I think that, you know, speaks to uh, them as producers saying like, you know, they saw yours and were like, you know, this is a good representation of like, you know, what is, uh, to come of, you know, the rest of these segments, uh, yes. you know, and, and, it, you well, know, and for, and for David Bruckner himself to call me to, and, and make that selection, I think it was his decision. I mean, I'm sure it was a discussion, but it was, he was to let me know. And, and that was, again, like just a, just a magical thing. Cause also I'm like, well, that's, that's his slot, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. if you're going in the tradition of the series. So, so it was a big vote of confidence. And, uh, and look, like some people love that I am the starter and some people are like, what the fuck is this? And uh, that's what's great about these movies. Uh, there's something oh, for yeah, everybody. I, I think this, it is such a, a tone setter, like Devon had mentioned that it's these, you know, not to, to I guess our, if we're diving into spoilers, but like this punk rock zombie girl band, like it, it's like there's a, there's an image, like an old Goosebumps image of this skeleton mm-hmm. and he's got a mohawk and like a leather vest yeah. with spikes. And I was like, this is kind of like the filmmaking embodiment of this. It's just like super punk rock. Oh, and, dude, that was on our reference board. Fuck yeah, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> it, but it's, go. It's, it's super fun and like not overly self-serious or anything. But I, I love that this really just pokes at you know, genre tropes of the 90s, but also like societal tropes in here. There's a, a segment in this uh, film that is like straight up like just American pie, you know, yes. but with like horror and monsters thrown in, which is like for me as someone uh, who I, I think found footage films are like the, the you know, the up and the down between the chasm, like the chasm between my, you know, the ones that I love and not so sure. much is, is pretty varied um, to, to see one just be like, fuck it, let's just have some fun. Like that was really refreshing to see. Yeah, I do think there's and look, I have no objectivity, but I do feel like there is a consistency um, because of those unifying themes um, and because there's no wraparound sort of like jolting you in and out. I mean, there is what Mm -hmm. Tyler McIntyre made that 
you know, is, is meant to create this sort of tape over effect of the whole thing that lands yeah. at, at the gawkers, which is that segment that the American pie segment you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, there you are. A, I feel like as a viewer and having watched it a number of times now myself, uh, able to kind of settle into a similar universal space. Whereas mm-hmm. usually VHS you're traversing, like one's going to be really, shit scary and one of them's going to be light and funny and uh this is not like that there's a kind of consistency to them and they're all comedic mm-hmm. oh yeah um, i would say this is probably for at least uh for me the the most consistent uh, as far as you know segment to segment like all kind of uh going going through kind of similar stuff and uh and yeah we're going to kind of get into your segment a little bit so if you guys haven't uh watched it go ahead and uh go uh log into shutter right now and go watch it um because we want to talk about uh some of the some of the goodies you know here in your segment um and uh first off uh you know um obviously uh i remember uh once this started showing at uh festivals i just saw so many tweets people are going oh my god bitch cat documentary when bitch cat t-shirts when <laughs> like uh everybody was uh big fans of bitch cat uh because i love me a uh fictional uh band as well and you know you come from a very musical background working on music videos and uh you know musical shows and things like that so uh so uh take us through bitch cat oh man i mean i always wanted to do something that was I've already worked in the area of the the plight of the female pop star I very much wanted to do a riot girl band and I particularly wanted to emulate um this kind of the the female rise of the the right how do I say this the like rise of the female rock star that happened in 94 through 96 and then and then hyper pop kind of came along and killed the Lilith Fair of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I and I'm very blessed to frequently collaborate with this artist uh, Dressage, who also did the music for my Valentine, who can just write a lost banger of any era. <laughs> um, so I knew when I was conceptualizing, I'm going to do an all girl riot girl band. I'm going to have. I'm going to like dive deep into L7 interviews and Bikini Kill and Ani DeFranco and like, and then it's got this heavy dose of these promotional videos. My stepmother, Andy mm-hmm. worked for Virgin Records in the nineties and she used to get all of the, all of this promo material. Mm. So when they were about to break the Spice Girls in the States, they had just tons of, of promo promotional junk. And she gave me everything cause I was about the age I was the market target audience um so i had these weird interviews that you can kind of find i found them on youtube um of the of the spice girls interspliced just meant to be seen by record companies in suits mm-hmm, yeah. and so that's where the whole bitch cat promo video is driven from it's it's uh, it's a hybrid of all of those things and then shot uh my dp alex trino and i worked really hard to like nail that MTV Unplugged style. Andy Holton did the graphics. You know, we had a team that was really interested in the perfect authenticity of the era. And then also the actors too, you know, that it's a it's a cast stacked with people who who knew like, oh, the girls wouldn't have a 
this kind of septum piercing at the time. So I better take this out and pop a safety pin in, mm -hmm. you know, I <laughs> also, all about those details. I also had to wonder if there was like a healthy dose of the hex girls from Scooby-Doo in there. Cause I was oh like, these gosh. are like, these are like, uh, I think this is going to strike a chord with like a certain level of nineties kid. And they're going to watch this and be like, I am aroused and very scared right now. <laughs> <laughs> I never even thought about that. See, this is what's great is like you absorb all of this media as a kid and it kind of just goes into the deep storage mm -hmm. library of your mind. And I'm like, Hell of yeah. course that's there. I didn't think about it, but yeah, you know, somebody even said like zombie Josie and the Pussycats. And I was like, yeah. yep, definitely. You know, <laughs> you could pull almost any reference and it's probably living somewhere in the yeah. soup of my brain. And it wound up in this country. <laughs> well, you had mentioned uh, kind of like the, the technical crunchy side of like capturing this era of, of the nineties. Uh, one, did you have much input or did they just hand you like an analog camera and they're like, here's your tool that you're using or even more so like is all this stuff added in post like the grain and the vhs effect like how did you guys go about capturing it to make it look authentic um big discussion at the outset actually it historically the vhs movies and i'm not speaking for all of them i don't know i of course can't speak to everybody's production always but um my understanding is that generally they are shot on new cameras and then everything is done in post I, being a purist, <laughs> like, I don't want to do that. I will shoot on modern cameras for safety, but our, and so we called our, uh, you know, vintage camera, it was a Sony VX1000, which is sort of a, it's a little, it's a little star of its own. When we busted that out at a skate park, it was like a little celebrity showed up because <laughs> skaters know that camera. Um, and so we were using that technically as our B cam, but we did, um, our final takes were all on that B cam and that's what wound up, you know, I would say it's 95% of the segment. Um, it has a different quality to it, you know, but I mean, it, I, I hate to be that guy that like yeah. no, <laughs> worshiping it. old formats, but <laughs> that's one of the things that was exciting about doing 99 is like, Oh, I want to work with, you know, the Sony Handycam that I had when I was that age. And, uh, and then also, so my, my DP also comes out of skate videos and he wanted to be able to do his like fisheye thing. I have some wonderful BTS footage of him on a skateboard chasing the other, chasing the kids oh and stuff. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> um, I know that Tyler also shot on high eight and he has a funny story about um, losing pixels as he was shooting. Oh, no. You <laughs> see the whole thing deteriorating as yeah. he went. <laughs> it's, a, it's a different <laughs> and, texture. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a different texture. And, uh, and I, I really liked it cause I, I could kind of tell a little bit because there would be moments where, uh, uh, there would be like a, a shot that would be, uh, hard to see a little bit, but it wouldn't be because like you were intentionally doing that. It's like, no, that's just the camera, like kind of doing that at that moment, you know? So yeah. like it made it feel uh, a little bit more authentic in that way. It was really fun. And it was also fun training, you know, because some some of the shots are handheld by uh, the rack kids themselves. Uh, you know, my DP did some training with them of how to pretend hold it or work with it, you know, the choreography of the camera to get that narrative perspective. And also, we did a lot of talking about, you know, how do ghosts interact with the camera and what does it do to the camera itself when they're seen or they're touching it. And so that there's like a 
digital interference that's happening. And, uh, you know, we ha I could I could fill whiteboards with the logic behind every single thing that happens yeah. in this movie. And I also want to just like shout out my my editor again, because the glitching, every single glitch in this movie is handmade, and I'm using air quotes, but handmade by Andy Colton. He had uh, a sh like a shoulder mount old VHS camera deck that he was like making glitches on and yanking them off of old videos, digitizing. Oh, I mean, it wow. was a, um, <laughs> it was an Escher like nightmare for the editorial staff. He was like timeline. a mad scientist, just like splicing <laughs> one thing, pulling a little bit of this one in, wrap it around. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, I think yeah, it there comes was a point through, at which sure. we were like, are we overthinking this? And it's like too late now. We've <laughs> overthought it. We're we're too far in. We can't turn around. Yeah. I, I think it comes through in the same way that a band, if they want to record on analog, it's it's a certain tone and a certain kind of vibe to it. And if you're wanting to capture the nineties and make you feel like you are watching a home video in that era, like this the quickest way to tip your hand that you're not watching that is shooting it in 4K and then you know throwing some graphics up. The, 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 the play button in the corner of the battery thing is not enough in my book. You need no. a little bit more, a little bit more crunchiness to it, which I think that this definitely has. Well, and the only know. time that we illogically throw that display that you're talking about up there, yeah. we threw it up there the first time a, a, a bitch cat or a boot cat um, touches camera. Because I, you know, we were like, well, how do we convey that she's? It, honestly, it was to address a note. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. Um, and so here on the pod, we, you know, talk a lot about subgenres and things like that. So uh, when you were coming up with your sub segment, uh, what were some of the subgenres that uh, you were excited to play with here? Oh, musical horror. Uh, cre you know, is creature or monster horror a thing? Um, mm -hmm, sure. Certainly, I was particularly excited to be entering a series that's known for its audacious use of blood and creature effects. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I really wanted to do practical effects, especially coming off of 94. I think Ratma is uh, as deserves to be a legend, and so I got to work with the exact same effects designer wow. who did who did Ratma. Love he, that. Yeah, he did the bitch cats and and the meat kids as well. You know that was a big. I think I almost like gave that guy a nervous breakdown because we were like doing so. We did that all in one day. All the bitch cats, all oh the meat kids. The only thing I think we did on a separate day was. Um, Caleb, sorry, spoilers abound, but um, Caleb's death dropping that bucket of goo from the ceiling, which was yeah. also, you know, we were cranking, uh, let the bodies hit the floor uh, <laughs> in the room. <laughs> um, uh, oh, so I don't know what uh, dismemberment, uh, it's not. Is it torture porn? I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so at all. And I, I think. I love the degree, and you had already mentioned that this series really flourishes on just continuing to go a little bit further than you would expect it to. And I was watching it, and I was hoping that when once the bitch cat zombies come out and then the kids start running, I was hoping that wouldn't be the end of it, and it would continue to go, which it does to the degree that it's like not only are the you know these zombie punk rock girls, but they're gonna tear these kids apart, and they're going to play with their bodies the same way that these kids were playing with these fucking sex dolls, mm -hmm. and they're gonna throw a guitar in their hand and string them up 
up like marionettes. Like I was, I was, I was very much into that. Oh, I mean, I'm so glad. <laughs> Cause I, I'd say, you know, uh, you know, the, the first two films, you know, are definitely like, you know, uh, people love them. And then, uh, but people really responded to these, uh, recent batches. I feel like these previous ones are, have injected a little more comedy, uh, than the than the first two did, and uh, you know we we just wrapped up the reanimator series, you know this uh, splat stick style of uh, where yes. it's just like you know using you know where it's just the blood and gore is so gratuitous that it becomes hilarious. Yeah, yeah, that excess. You know, I really love I love green room. I love. I mean, I I'm one of those people that I was came kind of late to understanding about myself that I really do love gore. There's something about an over-the-top blood effect that just tickles me. Uh, I I don't know what... I, I mean, you find out what kind of sicko you are when you make a VHS movie. <laughs> so I think that's well demonstrated here. You know, I even think about being seated in... I went to Fantastic Fest in 2021 and saw VHS 94 there. Um, and Timo Tahanto's segment with the VHS-headed mm-hmm. women which just turns into a goo fest. I, I was cackling the whole time. Um, and so I really wanted to give other people that, that same feeling of like, ah! Oh! <laughs> I, I am <laughs> curious though, with, with the level of like makeup and, and, and goop, as you had mentioned, with, with the members of the Bitch Cats, like, did you, like, I assume that they're not, you know the ones who performed on the track and are they are they the ones that actually sing the song no so the so there is some backup vocal from tyvee diskin who plays the singer in bitch cat but the lead vocal is and the song was written by dressage um and the oh boy i just got the full player track listing bitch cat is unfortunately a fake band however everyone can really play and that was very important to me um so when we were shooting the music video everybody was really playing was singing live yes it was to a backing track that replaced their live sound yeah but every every single person in that group um can really play that song well because see i was curious if it's like not only do you need to go in the booth and be able to sing and perform this song but also i hope you're okay with sitting in the makeup chair for about six hours and applying all of this stuff you know (laughs) yeah oh and that was a, a very uncomfortable day for those for those gals but i also think you know there's something about getting to be the monster that's unlike any other play day on set you know i i one one of the many effects that kind of gets lost in the sh- amazing shuffle of, of uh, degraded effect on it um, and glitching is uh, the melting of Deirdre of ghost Deirdre's head. Mm-hmm. And that was done live as well. You know, she was like bent over at the weirdest angle with this team of makeup effects artists behind her pumping water and baking soda through her mask so that it would bubble uh, and literally like her face was literally melting um oh, in a way that was unpainable <laughs> and totally safe but she said that. you know she closed her eyes and she started giving it you know while they started it and we were rolling it was like me my dp and the ac all rolling three different cameras on it because we could only do it once and she said can i make noise i was like go for it and she <laughs> made this noise that we kept in the movie 
but it sounds like a like a Muppet dying. It's a, it's <laughs> one of my favorite things. If you can just pause and loop her head melt, she's going like. <laughs> It's oh, like, it's the best. It's a great moment too, because this is after they had been like teasing Anker about his uh, bag of spices, and then uh, uh, blows it in their blows it in their faces, and uh, and uh, and and speak of Anker, I, I really uh, felt for this boy uh, in this uh, in this short, you know, as someone that is. Uh, bopped around and moved around and I've been in different sets of friend groups you know and it's like I've been in this friend group where it's like everybody's like all wild and fun and like you're you're just not quite uh wanting to be on their level you know so then you become the one that's like oh we play all the jokes on you but then like you're uncool if you get upset about it you know so totally uh I I really felt for uh Anker but uh obviously like him wanting to you know be friends and you know, uh, couldn't tell if he like kind of maybe had a little feelings uh, for the singer and then also like want to be a, in a cool band and everything. So it's like I totally like felt that struggle with him. Yeah. And Anker is like he's the voice of reason. He knows what's up. He knows they're walking into danger, but they've also made him the butt of all of their jokes for however long they've been friends. Um, you know, this is something that I I grew up in Woodstock, New York, which is like, you know, I think prides itself on being a pretty leftist hippie enclave. It was a sweet place to grow up, but the the people of color population was very small. And so the couple of brown kids in my school, you know, we all kind of flocked to each other as uh, as alt kids do, you know, like there's mm-hmm. something of like the, ostr- the ostracization from the, uh, the popular kids. But then I don't know if I'm trying to make a larger point of like white alt kids are toxic too. <laughs> but like yeah, they no, are. Yeah. No, well it's like, yeah, like, even in brutal. these even in these kids that are would societally be considered kind of on the fringe or probably do get bullied by the captain of the football team or whatever, they in turn are continuing that kind of cycle, even into the quote unquote lower members of, of their own little group and their own little clique. Exactly. Just paying playing like painful past the buck and you know i you know i i think i wrote it and i think it sucks that Anker dies <laughs> i know <laughs> I, I was i was curious about that was there ever a moment in this where you made it out because i was like he's he's the one that is like i told he you should guys be the and, final you know, girl yeah no. exactly but that's the zombie the bitch cats don't give a shit which i was honestly kind of like you know what it's i mean it's, it's the people <laughs> you know it's being accountable for you know the the company you keep still you know you know at the end of the day you know like he is still kind of making these decisions so it's 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 complicated it, it really is and but it's crazy because the you know there's you know obviously lots of scares and like you know things like that but there, there's literally one moment that like got me more than anything and it's like they're making a little video and having an interaction and then uh one of the friends goes says something and he goes yeah okay muhammad and just like yeah. just that little thing of like oh it seems innocuous he's calling him a different name but it's like no 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 like you know exactly what the friend meant when he did that and like that was like when it kind of started clicking for me i was like oh okay i see like you know, what we're looking yeah, at here. Yeah, the dynamic. And like, I really didn't want to shy away from, you know, they're all, that one is the most, I think, noticeable, but they're, you know, they're making, they're cracking jokes about each other's orientation and like, mm-hmm. they're really going below the belt. The way that, you know, 
the way that it was yeah. at the time. Yeah. I, I like it was not pretty. I look back at what was going on around me and and it was ugly. And I really thought that there was something horrific to show about that ugliness. Mm. Um and you know the band the, the the kid band is kind of representative of this like misogyny core attitude uh that was really prevalent in in our uh, mtv like you know again our like woodstock 99 our limp biscuit our 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 new metal wave at the time um and i think that people are really having a weird uh resurgence of their feelings about it as these again like i want to keep citing the woodstock 99 documentary Mm -hmm. um just kind of a re-examining of who we were as children and the kind of accountability that i certainly want to take for who i was at the time yeah i think it's easy to to be tasked with making a product like this and then wanting to kind of go the rose tinted glasses of you know oh things were so much simpler then and i i am i'm just i'm happy to hear that there was little collaboration in regards to like how you want to tackle this and what you kind of want to say and there's not necessarily the through line and then you guys all kind of arrived at pretty fucked up you know (laughs) the 90s were kind of fucked up (laughs) yeah well and like even though we're all laughing and joking and having a good time and and the film itself feels fun and lighthearted i hope that people are still coming away from like i'm glad that that's before and i'm Mm -hmm. glad that we've grown the fuck up for (laughs) sure uh and like learned how to be kinder to each other i hope um but uh yeah there is a a viciousness uh between them all um very much built on fear and like pack mentality um that that i think uh pervades you know when i think of my worst childhood nightmares it is that thing of like being ostracized and being picked on and just deciding to grip my teeth and endure it and be like well i'll be the weirdest one amongst the weirdos uh yeah, but at mm-hmm. least i'll be somewhere right yeah I, i'm curious though as you you mentioned that you have now had a chance to to see all of them uh, in their entirety were there any other segments that you were particularly fond of or at minimum were like jealous that you didn't get to work on uh i i mean i think the winters and i have like work crushes on each other i <laughs> I, I am such a big fan of i i mean I'm not blowing anybody's mind by saying that Deadstream fucking rules and so does to Helen back. And, and certainly that actress, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to blank on her name and I've met her, Melanie Stone. Um, <laughs> the actress who plays Mabel from mm-hmm. the second she comes on screen, there's just something magical going on. You know, that voice that she's doing. And as soon mm-hmm. as she asked them to write her name in the book of the witches, I'm like, I, I would do it. I'm going to the <laughs> ends of the earth for Mabel. Um, and then some, I would go to hell and back for Mabel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that was, I, I felt a real kinship with those folks. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, these are my kind of weirdos. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I love it. I, I'm glad that, you know, that this uh, anthology is going to keep on trucking, you know, and uh, that it's, you know, kind of morphed into uh, something a little different. You know, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, now with uh, kind of getting their footing of, okay, we're tackling these kind of uh, these time periods and 
uh, it makes for, you know, uh, you know, checking out these very specific corners of, you know, the, the VHS world. So, uh, super, super excited for you that you got to be a part of that. So like, congratulations. Like, well, thank you. I'm, I'm so excited to be, uh, like I said, a part of the series and, and a part of this just magic year for horror movies. Uh, I, I mean, Absolutely. I've never, it, it's what an embarrassment of riches, you know? <laughs> and the fact yeah. that you got to be a part of this and black and the black phone too, you know, yeah. you, you got to be the, 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 the summer tentpole, uh, you know, horror film of the year, which is just also amazing. Yeah. yeah it's, it's been a pretty cool one. Um, I, I, I don't know that I'll ever get to do so much running around in a playground of, of goop, but I sure hope so. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know, of course, you got plenty of things uh, in development. Is there anything you're working on that you can tell us about at the moment? Well, it's been it's been announced for a while. I'm working on a script uh, called Caster for Paramount um, that I'm really excited about. I don't, you know, I. I don't know that there will be new news about that project for a while, but um, it is it is one of my favorites. Um, and uh, gosh, what else? There's a lot in the pipeline that's like, nah, mm-hmm. can't talk about it yet. <laughs> um, but some good stuff coming, and definitely, I'm uh, I'm not leaving genre filmmaking anytime soon. I am. I'm here to stay. Everybody will have to be dealing with me for years. <laughs> I mean, you're also married to uh, genre filmmaking as you well. Know? So congratulations <laughs> on that, of course, as well. Thank you. I This is a, a also a really, even if I hadn't had my own sort of creative involvement in that movie, I would just be so proud for him. You know, uh, what, a, what an amazing thing it's been also to see those kids, you know, I, gotten mm-hmm. to work with a lot of great kid actors in the last couple of years <laughs> yeah it, it was a great year for uh kids in horror this year uh i think a fun anecdote to kind of close this out on is i remember uh there was a time uh back at uh steampunk coffee uh r.i.p that uh that amazing oh, coffee shop I know. uh that uh that you uh went to and you introduced me to and i would go there to you know work on stuff and whatnot and i remember uh one of the times going and then you you were there and I was like, oh, hey, you know, what's up? And then you, you like kind of came over all excited and you're like, you're like, oh, hey, I'm actually uh, sitting over with Scott Derrickson and we're working on some stuff. I was like, no shit. And I, you know, I was like, I wanted to go over and fanboy, but I was like, no, I can't embarrass Maggie. And then I remember, you know, he looked over and waved and I was like, all right, cool. I got that. So uh, <laughs> I, I remember uh, being just like, I was like, all right, don't, don't, don't go over there and rant about Sinister for, for 15 minutes. Don't, don't you do it. <laughs> you should just come over to my house and rant about Sinister anytime you like. Uh, no problem. <laughs> uh, or you can have some of the Sinister merch that occupies our closet. Man, Absolutely. Don't throw it my way. <laughs> yeah, don't don't tease me with a bagul mask. Don't don't tease oh, me like goodness. that. Uh, but we yeah. have we have an unusually scary uh, storage space, both in in its. So we have this. Oh, sorry, I know we have to wrap up, but like on the black phone front, I know this is an enjoyable one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wrap gift that Blumhouse gave to Scott, we had just moved into our home, and we have this like very creepy dirt basement that is full of all of the merch and stuff. Of course, uh, and 
Blumhouse installed a black phone in our dirt basement. Oh, God. Um, oh. That when you pick it, when you pick it up, it auto dials Jason Blum. No way! <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, that is actually that's, good. That, that's the best rap gift that you could get. I feel like all uh, great genre uh, filmmakers have yeah their their closet just stashed of uh, uh, creepy memorabilia. <laughs> it's uh it's really something. I like I, I like kind of masking it amongst the like cheerful. I'm at my mother's house right now, so you can't see. But my my house is like you know Prince posters and like it's painted like Sunny Marigold. And then if you look up here, there's a shadow box that has you know the two worst grabber masks in it it's like <laughs> it's tastefully tucked in there and then if you yeah. open the closet it's just like cinnabite dolls will fall on you yeah it's it's a definitely a a, a balancing act uh, as someone who also is a purveyor of creepy shit but also want my wants my apartment to look cute it's kind of like oh wow oh is that what is that you know <laughs> you find uh, a balance exactly you know because yes. you can go one or two directions you can become a museum yes or mm-hmm. you can like blended into the decor 100 <laughs> i i feel that uh, loud and clear <laughs> yeah gotta, gotta commit one way or the other but uh yeah uh thank you so much maggie for uh coming on and talking with us uh again congratulations on uh on your segment in vhs 99 uh where can the people find you on social media I am at Maggie Levin on every platform except for TikTok. If you want to bother with that, I'm Miss Maggie Levin there. Um, uh, yeah, but please come tell me what you think. Uh, love it or hate it. I want to hear from you. And uh, we're working on getting those those songs out to the internet ASAP. Yes. And Please. maybe some Bish Cat t-shirts later in the year. <laughs> that or like a small uh, vinyl pressing would be yes. cool. Just like a like a small, you know, single. I, I'd be into that. Or a, or a cassette. <laughs> or a cassette. Or a cassette. Yes. Yes. Oh, we should do it. I actually just made album artwork yesterday so that we could get it out on all the platforms. Oh, so like, it's doable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that send that over my way in the in the sinister merch and we'll be we'll be all square. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bitch cat merch coming to you real soon. But That'll go ahead and do it for this episode of the Spectre Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Make sure you subscribe so you do not miss an episode. You can follow us on social media at Spectre Cinema on Twitter and Instagram. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us five stars and a nice little review. We appreciate you. But until next time, guys, stay lifted.